Join me, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11. That'll be our passage of Scripture uh, this morning. Uh, today we're starting a new series of messages on doubt and faith that'll go hand in hand uh, with our Alpha groups that are starting uh, this week. You know, I mentioned earlier that coming up on the 21st, we've got a board game night. I hope that you'll join us. I enjoy games, um, and sometimes I enjoy a game where there isn't a whole lot of strategy, right? Like in Uno, there's a little bit of strategy, right? You hold that draw four until the right moment, but there's not a whole lot, whole lot of strategy. There's not a whole lot of, of planning. You just, you, you deal, you, the cards you're dealt, those, those are the ones you play. And sometimes I enjoy a game that doesn't require a whole lot of thinking and strategy, but then there are times I do enjoy a game that requires a lot of strategy and a lot of thinking and a lot of planning. Um, there's this misconception in the world today that religion or faith or what we're doing this morning, that it's more like Uno or Candyland, that it's mindless, that, that it doesn't require thinking, that it's something we do so that we can check out of what's happening in the world. When in reality, faith and belief and relationship with God is the opposite. It is something that we must intentionally think about. It's something that we must focus on. And if you come to church to tune out, you're not getting what it is that we're trying to give you. If your relationship with God is something that is on autopilot or cruise control, it's not going anywhere. What we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith requires a lot of thinking and a lot of intentionality. What we'll see in the text and over the next several weeks of our messages and in the groups that our alpha groups are going to be discussing is that our faith is the product of a whole lot of thought. It's the product of a whole lot of investigation and discovery and consideration and reflection. Now, our popular culture thinks that there, that there is this opposition between faith and fact that there is this disagreement between belief and science. But that is incorrect. I like what Tim Keller said. The reason there isn't much faith today is because there isn't much thinking today. Faith is a product of contemplation, reflection, and meditation. Let's look at that together in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony or report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith... Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Scripture says, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was Taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God 
or that he walked with God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. When you look at me right now, you see a person. You see two eyes, two ears, a nose, a mouth. You see my arms and legs. You see the basic components of this person. And while you can't see it from where you are, you can't sense it from where you're sitting, you know, based on the fact that I'm speaking, based on the fact that I'm standing before you, that my heart is beating and that my lungs are drawing in air. You can't see that, but you know that it's happening. Now, if I were to collapse this morning, someone hopefully would come up and check on me, right? And probably because I had collapsed and I wasn't moving, you would say, we need to check his pulse. We need to check if he's breathing. You would look for those signs. But because you can deduce from the fact that I'm standing, I'm moving my arms, I'm speaking, my heart is being beating, my lungs are breathing, you are able to deduce that there are things happening right now that you cannot see, that you cannot sense. Now you've learned through personal experience and through teaching and training that for a person to be doing what I'm doing, their heart needs to be beating and their lungs need to be breathing, right? Now, most, most of us haven't seen that happening, right? Most of us haven't watched a heartbeat. Most of us haven't watched lungs expand. But we know that these things are happening through personal experience and through what we have been taught about the human body. Now, if you were to spend some time thinking, you would know that me being up here is not only testament to the fact that my heart is beating and that my lungs are breathing, but that I am currently at this very moment taking in a whole lot of information, compiling it, and then communicating it back to you. That there's a whole lot that's happening in my brain right now to talk to you about these notes that I have prepared from this text that I have studied. And if you were to spend some more time thinking, you would be able to figure out there's a background here, right? Pastor Daniel didn't just stand up and start doing this. There must have been some studying that happened. There must have been some preparation that happened. Those notes didn't just appear on that page. He had to have typed them into a computer and then printed them off. All of those things that happened that you did not see. You and I know that there is so much in this world that is true that does not meet our eye, that we cannot see for ourselves. And this goes beyond just deducing things that have happened in the past or things that are happening right now. It moves into philosophy and belief. You would come to believe, not only am I a person who has a beating heart and breathing lungs, who's thinking and speaking, 
you could come to the point where you recognize that I have a soul, that I have worth, that I'm a person, that I have a story, that I have people who love me, and I have people that I love. These are all things that you cannot see, but you believe. Christianity states that there is much more to this reality than what meets our eye. Christianity states that there's much more going on than what can be seen. Christianity states that we do not just take everything at face value or just what can be seen, but there is something far, far deeper than all of that. And this requires investigation and thought and consideration and reflection. And the more you and I grow closer to the Lord and the more we come to understand about his heart for us and about his truth and his word, all of this will entail thought and consideration and reflection and contemplation. In fact, I would say that if someone were to say the universe is all there is, they're, being the, they're the one that is refusing to, to, to look deeper. They're the one that's refusing to look under the surface. Scientists know this. They know that for them to figure out something, they have to pose a hypothesis. There's a, a question or a problem, and they pose a hypothesis, and then they conduct experiments or observations to see if that hypothesis is true. If that thing that they think or believe to be true is actually true. And the strongest hypothesis, the strongest theory, is the one that gives the most robust explanation for what is happening in the world. What is happening in the observation. What is happening in the experiment. I personally believe the tenets of Christianity because I believe Christianity, more than any other philosophy, more than any other theory, more than any other religion, gives the most robust explanation for what is happening in this experiment that we call life, what is happening right now. I think that when things happen in our world that are confusing, I feel like Christianity gives the very best answer. I feel like it gives us the substance of these things that are not seen. Now, all of us must wrestle with these ideas because we know that there's more to this reality and more to our lives than meets the eye. And everyone has different assumptions and solutions on this. And most people just avoid thinking about it at all, right? Like the conversation that we've had so far this morning, the things that I've said so far this morning, it's making your brain hurt, right? Like you've had to think more about me standing up here and talking than normal, right? And, and thinking can be hard work. And we have all of these things all of these distractions, all of these substances, all of these entertainments to distract us from thinking, from thinking deeply. 
that prevent us from thinking long. And I'm afraid that most people haven't had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to think deeply about this experiment of life and what is the correct and most robust explanation for what it is that we are experiencing. What I'm hoping we can provide over the next several weeks, both in our messages and in the groups, is opportunity for reflection and thinking on these truths. I wholeheartedly believe that if you will take time to reflect, your faith will grow. And so if you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor Nate, I don't need this because I'm already a Christian. I think that taking time to reflect on these truths will help, help your faith grow. And if someone here in, is unsure if they believe, I think that taking this time to reflect will help your faith sprout or grow. The testimony of Nikki Gumbel, who is the, the author of the Alpha Course, is that he was an argumentative atheist. You know any argumentative people? Right? Some of you do. He was an atheist. He was an argumentative atheist. And he said, quote, I found Christians to be suspicious. So I avoided them. But something happened when he was in college. Two of his close friends became Christians. And this troubled him. And so he sat down to disprove Christianity to deconvert his friends. He thought they had been trapped, that they had been tricked, and he was going to straighten it out. But by stopping to take time to consider these truths and looking for the purpose of disproving them and deconverting his friends, he came to the realization that it was true and his life was changed. If you'll take the time and you'll come to it unbiased, I think that you'll find faith or that your faith will grow. I don't think that there is a problem with a lack of truth or a lack of proof. I think most of us just haven't had or haven't taken the opportunity to consider the truth and the proof. Or perhaps we have, and we've done so with great bias. Years ago, I got summoned for jury duty here in Ward County. Um, and I was surprised that they didn't dismiss me immediately because I served in the Ward County Jail holding church services, and the defendant attended my church services in the jail. And I explained this to the judge and the lawyer, and they didn't dismiss me. And then we went back to the holding room while they're doing jury selection. And, you know, people were just saying, I, I really thought I was going to get out of this. And they gave their, their reason, their, their, the, the trick they had done, thing they'd done, try to get out of it. Because just about everybody's trying to get out of jury duty. I wasn't trying to get out of jury duty, but I was just trying to be honest. And I said, yeah, I was kind of surprised they didn't dismiss me immediately since I know the defendant from my church services in the jail. The next morning we come to, I think, start the, the case, and the judge says, Mr. Edwards, I understand that you said yesterday that the defendant attends your church services. I, I said, yeah, I, I did say that. And he said, and I understand other people heard you. And I was like, well, I think so. And they dismissed everyone who heard me say that. Now, I suddenly became friends with all the people that were trying to get out of jury duty. 
But there was one woman who didn't want to get out of jury duty, and she was upset that she had been dismissed because she overheard me saying this. And the reason that she didn't want to be dismissed, that she told us as we were walking out of the courthouse, is I was going to fry that guy. Now, here's the thing. We hadn't heard any, any evidence. No one had presented a case. We'd only gone through jury selection questions, but she had already made up her mind that this man was guilty. She was going to enter into this trial with her mind made up. I'm afraid that most people have come to this question about, is there a God? Or where do we come from? Or what is the meaning of life? Or where do we go after we die? That we, that we come with predetermined, pre-chosen beliefs. And I think that this is, is tragic and dangerous. And I think that it's not only unbelievers who do it. I think that believers do it as well. Now hear me. If you've grown up in the church and you're a Christian because you have always gone to church, you've grown up in the church and you're a Christian because your parents and your grandparents were Christians, that is dangerous. Because you haven't considered deeply these truths. And one day, when your faith is challenged by the circumstances or disappointments of life, you will have not put down roots yourself. It's problematic and it's dangerous. Because this passage tells us that faith is elemental to understanding this life and living for God. In fact, this passage tells us that we can't even approach or come to God without faith. Look at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. Back in 2017, there was a new music festival that, man, some people were really excited about. It's called Fire Festival. And it was put on by these guys who would later be referred to as con artists. And they had really brilliant marketing ideas and they got a lot of attention, but they'd never put on a concert before in their lives. They'd never put on a festival. But they, they lined up acts and they advertised and they sold tickets and then they went to people who had done these things and said, hey, we need your help. And the people who had done these things before said, it's going to take two years and $50 million. And they said, well, we've got one year and $4 million. And they said, well, we can't help you. This isn't going to work. Now, people bought tickets because they had come to believe it's going to be this incredible music festival on this private island. It wasn't even on a private island. It ended up being in the parking lot of a resort where they parked boats. The people had seen this image. They had believed that they, they would never have bought the tickets or bought plane tickets, lined up travel to this supposed island unless they believed there was going to be a concert. But as the concert drew closer and closer, it became more and more obvious that they were in over their heads, that they didn't have any money to put this thing on. And fewer and fewer people actually made the flight or showed up. And those that did had nothing to eat and no place to stay. There had been hype to get people to come to buy tickets, but there had been no delivery. 
people would have never purchased the flight to go unless they believed there was something there. And you will not even seek God out unless you believe that there is something there. And listen, God has not drawn you in or has not attempted to pull you in with some glossy advertisement that has no basis in reality. Rather, what he's done is he's done the real and given you the opportunity to discover it. He hasn't tried to trick you into belief. Rather, he has produced reality and given you the opportunity to discover it. God hasn't created a buzz to draw you under false pretenses. He's given you reasons to believe. And those truths that we can see around us draw you in. And as you believe and you are drawn closer, unlike what is marketed to us, it gets better and better. Right? We probably all fall and pray to the, the advertisement on Facebook or Instagram for something and that we order it and it is made of paper or cardboard, right? I mean, it looks like that thing if you're standing about 50 feet away. But if you pick it up, like this is not going to work, right? God is the opposite of that. The closer we get, the more substantial and better he is. He does not disappoint upon closer inspection. He exceeds our expectations. He exceeds our needs. So faith is elemental for drawing closer to God, and it's fundamental for living a life of faith. This passage says that not only is faith the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, that by it the elders, or those who have gone before us, obtained a good testimony. In other words, because they had faith, they were able to live for God. Because they believed, they were able to live a life of faith. Listen, here's, here's what we try to do. We try to fake it until we make it, right? And it, it doesn't work. If we believe the truth, the rest will follow. They were able to live different lives because they had faith, because they believed the truth. And because they had that faith, their lives were changed. The, 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 the chapter goes on to name all of these people who did incredible things for God. And it isn't that they were harder workers than us. It isn't that they were better than us. It isn't that they were holier than us and that gave them faith. It is that they had great faith and all of those other things followed. Their belief changed them and directed them. Their belief transformed them and guided them. And that's why the next verse says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You see, faith gives us understanding. It gives shape 
to our hypotheses. It gives us hope. It gives us something of substance to stand on. It frames our thinking. When we have faith, now everything that we do and we think is framed by it because it changes everything. By faith, they obtained a good report. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And when we understand that, it changes everything. And we understand that we serve a God who is more powerful than all. So it was by faith that the elders understood their world. And through that understanding, they accomplished great efforts for God. They were willing to do things that no one else was willing to do. They were not only willing to do things no one else was willing to do, they wanted to do things no one else was willing to do because they had faith. Because faith gave them understanding. Uh, there's a phrase that I've heard, a quote I've heard uh, in, in like finance and investing, and it's, pessimists sound smart, but optimists get rich. And the idea there is that people that think companies are gonna go big or markets are gonna increase, they get rich because they buy in and the pessimists sit back and say, oh, it's, it's, you know, the economy's gonna go horrible and they sound smart, but they don't make any money. If we're not careful, We'll treat faith as this thing. Well, because I have faith, I'm optimistic and I'm believing for good things. That, that's not what happens here. Faith frames their understanding of the unseen. Faith shows them that God is good. Faith shows them that God is for them, but faith doesn't show them that they have a blank check or that they're guaranteed success. Because this chapter not only tells us all of these people who did these incredible things for God and had all these incredible accomplishments, it also tells us that there were those who did not succeed. I want you to read those verses with me. So uh, skip with me down to, towards the end of the chapter uh, to verse 35. The writer of Hebrews has just finished saying, and, and, and I could go on and on, and time doesn't permit me to tell all of the different things that have happened, and, and people who, who did this, and people who did that, and he, he's continuing on, he says in verse 35, and women received their dead raised to life again, period. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's this passage telling us? This passage is telling us that just because you have faith doesn't mean you win all the time. 
Right now, it is, it is bowl season. Last night, they were incredible football games. Two, two teams won. They're going to go to the national championship. I guarantee you there are people on both sides of those games last night that believed in God. But somebody had to lose. Right? And there are people who did incredible things for God and they had faith. But there are others who were faithful. They had faith and they lost. And they were killed and they were tortured. Does that mean that they didn't really have faith? No, that's not what it means. Here's what it means. Faith takes thinking and it takes, it takes investigation and discovery. And faith leads to understanding and faith gives meaning. It doesn't give success, it gives meaning. And that meaning is valid whether we succeed or we fail. For the person who is lying sick in the hospital and they believe and they have faith that God can heal and they are not healed, their faith still gives meaning to the suffering that they're experiencing. It gives them an understanding of why the world operates in the way that it does. And for a person who is not healed, or for a person who, who doesn't succeed and doesn't have all of their dreams come true, faith is not wasted. It still gives meaning. It still gives purpose. And that's better than winning. And that's better than healing. Because the meaning and the purpose that faith provides is not just for this life, but for the next as well. This passage says they were, they were tortured, they were on the run, they were imprisoned, of whom the world was not worthy. But there was a home waiting for them. And they have a testimony to us even to this day. Because they believed. They had faith. And that faith gave meaning. Friends, I want you to realize that faith takes thought and investigation and contemplation. And it gives understanding and it gives meaning and it gives hope. What follows in the list, the list of verses is all of these people who, they had faith. And God used them powerfully and mightily. And people who had faith in God did not give them the victory. But all of them were God's people. And all of them, all of them have a home in heaven. All of them have a relationship with him. Um, this past week, between uh, Christmas and New Year's, as we do most years, my family went to Virginia Beach and we visited my family and friends who, who live there where we uh, uh, were from before we moved here. And as happens just about every time uh, that we're back in Virginia um, and I'm seeing friends uh, from years gone by and I'm visiting with family, the question will come up, why do you still live in Indiana? You know? Um, you know, I think most of them thought I'd come and I'd live in Indiana for a couple years and then I'd return. And, 
and, and the reason I'm here is I, I, I wholeheartedly believe, I honestly believe God has called me here. My faith gives meaning and purpose to the life I have chosen to live. Now, if I'm not careful there, I can say, and so because I feel like God's called me, God's going to do all these things. God didn't promise me that. God called me. And that gives it meaning. But that doesn't write the end of the story. That doesn't, that doesn't guarantee some specific outcome for our church. But it gives it meaning. And because it has meaning, it's hopeful. It's not just random. It's not just throwing a dart at a map. It's not that I'm, I'm here just because of a, a random gathering of chemicals in my brain. It has meaning. And if it has meaning, it gives me hope. And not only does it give me hope, because I believe in God and I have faith, it gives me hope because I believe in the gospel. Verse 6 says, For without faith it is impossible to please him. And that's, that's big, to please God. To please him. Do you have anybody in your, in your life that's hard to please? Some of you just celebrated Christmas with them, right? Just difficult to please. God is difficult to please, not because he's difficult. Not because he's harsh. But because he's righteous. And the standards are so high. And we have, we have fallen so short of his standards. But through faith, all of these people were pleasing to God. The ones that won battles and the ones that lost battles, they were pleasing to God. Not because of their winning or their losing. Not because of their righteousness or their good deeds or their hard work ethic. But because they believed in God who loved them. And that gives me hope. I believe not only in God, but I believe in the gospel that tells me that God sent his son to take the penalty for my sin and give me his righteousness so that when I stand before God, I am pleasing in his sight. And it's not con conditional upon my performance. It's not conditional upon my ability. It's not conditional upon my righteousness. It's upon Jesus's. And that gives me hope. So faith takes thought. But it leads to understanding. And it leads to meaning. And it leads to hope. And in this experiment of life, in this experiment that we're all participating in in reality, we all must answer the question, what is the meaning of all of this? And where is it headed? And faith, and faith in the Christian doctrines, the gospel, gives me the most robust answer to the question, 
What is the meaning of life? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that in this moment, you would give faith to the one who is seeking. And I pray that in this moment, you would grow the faith of the believer. Lord, help us to think on and reflect on these truths. Those that we have found in your word, those that we have sung about to be reminded of. Lord, may we contemplate them in this moment. May we reflect and may it grow our faith. And we pray these things in your name. I'm going to ask you to remain seated in a spirit of prayer and to contemplate and reflect on God's goodness as Ryan and Stephanie lead us.